There was a man named Aurelius, and he was born in northern Africa in A.D. uh, 354. And Aurelius grew, and he was educated in the city of Carthage, which was a city of philosophy and knowledge and education. And it was during his time there that um, he, he says that he was inflamed with this desire for knowledge. He knew that there was something else out there. He knew that there was something else to his life, but he didn't know what exactly it was. And it was during his time in Carthage that Aurelius admits to thrusting himself into a hissing cauldron of lust. You see, Aurelius looked for genuine love, but he couldn't separate it with lust. Uh, And he constantly dipped into this cauldron more than once. He describes it as this. He described his early life as this. I polluted the streams of friendship with the foulness of lust and clouded its purity with the hell of illicit desire. It wasn't long after that that he took a concubine and they had a son. Um, But also during his time in Carthage, Aurelius grew in knowledge and he was reading and through his uh, literature that he was going through, he read the writings of Cicero. And it was uh, during these writings that he, he began to search for the good, the true, and the beautiful. It was his search for Christ. Uh, Aurelius goes on to say that this book, the writings of Cicero, inflamed him with a love of wisdom. At that point, whenever he felt the urge to fall in his temptation, to fall into sin, into sexual temptation, uh, he continued to focus his life towards drawing closer to virtue and justice. Uh, You see, Cicero wasn't a Christian man. He's not a Christian author, but his writings encapsulated what Aurelius was looking for, what his soul longed for. And whatever it was, he needed to find it. He was looking all over the place, but he didn't know where to go. And he turned to his Bible, but through his own methods, it left him unsatisfied. And so he continued on his search. He went through uh, other forms of pagan rituals and religions, uh, other writings, and he couldn't find it. And all the time, he just kept dipping back into that cauldron. All the while, he was combating his sin and his desires, even though he knew this can't be it. It can't just be this. Later, he turned his profession into a rhetoric of talking shop. And he, uh, he showed his students how to toy with truth and pervert justice. He later states that uh, he, be- he had become a teacher in the art of deception because he had been lying to himself this whole time. Sometime later, um, he, he still continued to know that there was something else. Even in the midst of his knowledge, he was a teacher, he was, he was demonstrating students how to live in this false ideology himself, that he himself found himself in, and he still knew that it couldn't be it, that couldn't be it, there needed to be something more. And so, Later on, he had the opportunity to listen to Ambrose, who was the bishop of Milan at the time. 
And Ambrose shared that day that Jesus Christ has the power to break the bonds of moral failure. He had never been told that before. Because up to this point, he had this ideology that you needed to come perfect into the eyes of a God. You needed to come already saved. You needed to come already fixed. That a deity is not going to care for your brokenness. And he knew that he was broken. And he had an awakening experience, and he felt convicted by God to turn to Christ. And so he describes his conversion as this. He says, it was as though my heart was filled with a light of confidence, and all shadows of my doubt were swept away. Because that is the power of the gospel. He later writes about his conversion. He wrote a poem uh, that says, Late it was that I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. Late I loved you. Because it was later in his life that he turned to Christ. He says, You called, you cried out, you shattered my deafness. You flashed, you shone, you scattered my blindness. You captured my attention, essentially. You breathed perfume, and I drew in my breath, and I pant for you. I tasted, and I am hungry and thirsty. You touch me, and I burn with your peace. And it was that day in a garden in Milan that Aurelius trans was transformed by the gospel power by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's later to be known as Aurelius Augustine, who is uh, a famous bishop of Hippo and perhaps one of the most influential uh, leaders in the early Christian church. You see, there should be a tangible and personal implication to this eternal encounter. This moment that we're currently in, every Sunday morning we gather together, we experience God, we worship him together, we listen to God's word. Every time we encounter the eternal, there should be a physical, tangible, personal implication. When you leave here today, when you leave here every Sunday, when you, when you come into uh, into fellowship on Wednesday nights, when you go into your personal prayer time, when you go into your personal worship time, when you come out of that, there should be a personal implication to encountering the eternal God. It can't just be this. It can't just be this. You see, Paul, Paul writes to uh, the church in Rome, and at the time, there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of things were going on in Rome as Paul is writing to them. Uh, there were believers who were starting to think that it's easier to turn back to uh, the Roman society, to what Roman truth was, to what Roman knowledge was, Roman wisdom, to what the culture was telling them. Uh, there was also Jews from outside, believers from outside of the city were being allowed back into the city. And so there was conflicts between believers. It's like, this is how your Christian life should be lived, and this is how your Christian life should be lived. And they were just butting heads. And it got to the point where Paul was just writing to say, it doesn't matter, stop. Because the foundational truth is this, Jesus Christ. This is the truth. And you need to 
go forward in your lived theology in the way that God is calling you to live based on the truth and experiencing Jesus Christ. And he encourages the church in Rome to continue to live a life considering the new faith that they had embraced. And this is what he says in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what, is, what, God will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We just finished hearing the story of two very different people who were transformed by the, their experience with God, right? So I'm going to take a second to unwrap what they experienced and what the outcome was in, in hopes of understanding what it is that God is calling us to live as Christian believers, as followers of Christ. You see, the first thing we need to understand, though, is God has the ability to radically change someone from one day to the next. However, it's our responsibility to decide on allowing for that change to happen. Uh, This is a conscious decision that we need to make both David and Aurelius, two very different men from two very different backgrounds and uh, eras, they both knew that there was something more to their life. There was something more than what they were experiencing. There was something that they were separated from due to their lifestyles, due to their life choices, due to the chaos, as David shared, he was living in chaos. Though they did not know God, and I say no, David even describes it this way. He went to church, he did all the church things, but he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, though they, neither of them didn't know God, they knew that there was something that their life was being called to. Because we need to experience change. We need to experience change. We know that there's something else. That in our sin, there's something that God wants for our life, that this can't just be it. You see, Mark Moore in this week's Core 52 describes that in order for us to experience radical change, we must first believe in the promise of change. We have to accept and believe that God has the power to change our lives. Both David and Aurelius had to embrace that God not only wants to transform their lives, but that he can. It's one thing to know, but it's another thing to embrace that promise, to believe and live in that promise. The prophet Ezekiel describes this perfectly in Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 20. It says this, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them, and I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then, I will, then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. We're going to take this step by step backwards, okay? Because I believe that there's something, uh, some, some crucial steps here that we need to identify. Because you see, God says he wants to be our God. He can be our God, right? But in order for him to be considered our God, we need to be his people. And in order for us to be his people, we need to keep his laws. 
We need to follow his decrees. We have a desire to follow his decrees. And we can only do that when a heart of stone is removed and it's replaced with a heart of flesh. And only he can do that because he is the one who gives us an undivided heart and a new spirit. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? So it's a progressional growth. We need to receive the new heart. We need to receive the undivided heart and the new spirit that God is offering us freely. And then due to receiving that heart, uh, we are given a heart of flesh instead of the stone heart that we currently have. And then we have a desire to know and to grow in wisdom and in knowledge and in favor with God. And out of that, the result is we are his people. And he is our God. This is, this is a prophetic promise. This is a prophetic promise that highlights what Jesus is accomplishing through his coming, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. Jesus is the means by which we are able to experience this radical change. Because you see, Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice frees us so that his spirit can deploy us. Through his sacrifice, we embrace this change, and out of this change, we should be sent off differently. We should live differently. We should be acting differently. It can't be the same, because there needs to be a personal implication to this eternal encounter. We must first grow in comfort in this knowledge. Uh, in the knowledge of the freedom that Jesus is offering us. Because of this, because we acknowledge and we understand this, and we believe this, we have to believe this with all of our hearts. We should seek a continual pursuit of God. This is a continual process. Because God is telling us that our past is no longer a barrier for our best future. Your past doesn't mean anything. Jesus is calling you out of that. God is calling you out of your sinfulness, your pain, your suffering, the things that you feel like you can't let go. He's calling you out of that into a better life, into an eternal life in him. God is telling us to move forward, to not turn back, to not look back, to keep moving, to keep pressing. Paul is saying this exact same thing in Romans chapter 12. He's basically, essentially, he's saying, stop. Stop your own means. Because God is calling you to something greater, to a life that is filled with his justice, his grace, his shalom, the eternal peace that only he can offer. He's calling us to believe in his promise that is so much better than anything that we can do by our own means. That's exactly what David Boyd just told us. He tried so hard. He knew that he shouldn't be living this way. He tried everything he could, but he could not change by his own means. You see, after believing in the promise of change, we must actively receive the power of change. We need to receive it, embrace it. Um, many of you know this, but I grew up in eastern North Carolina. And uh, I, was, 
I was uh, in high school at North Pitt, uh, so I went into North Pitt right here in town. And when I was a freshman in high school, I um, believed and I was baptized. And I believed in God. Um, I began to know God. All the while, though, I was, I was living a life that was different. I wasn't living a life in accordance to who God was calling me to be. There were a lot of emotions within me. Uh, there was resentment that I had at the time that I harbored within myself. There, there was emotional baggage that God was calling me to leave behind, but I could not do it. I was living two different lives because, you see, I knew what God was asking me to do. I knew what God was asking me to leave behind, and it wasn't easy. We should be uncomfortable by the change that Jesus can bring into our lives. Otherwise, what is it? It's nothing. We should feel uncomfortable by it. Because Jesus is calling us to live a better life, not by our own means, but by his. And so, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to do it. I wasn't ready to commit. I wasn't ready to leave it all behind. Though I, I, I followed, I believed, I was baptized, I, I, I repented. I knew that this was wrong. Or I apologized to God more than repented. Because repentance means leaving it behind and just leaving it there. And moving forward in the grace that God is giving us. And so I knew that this was wrong, but I wasn't ready to leave it behind. And so instead, uh, I left Greenville. I went to college, and it was during my time at MacU that I experienced the transformational power of the gospel. It was there during my four years in college, and all this work and all this counseling and all these uh, good Christian men that believed in me, that spent time transforming me, teaching me. That's where I experienced God. That's where I experienced the transformational power of the gospel. And from then on, I vowed, I will never return to Greenville. <laughs> it has been exactly one year since I moved back. One year uh, Thursday, I moved back to Greenville. I told myself, and everyone around me that I didn't want to be in Greenville, that I couldn't do ministry in Greenville. Um, and I tried to spiritualize it, too. I would say, Jesus went to his hometown and performed zero miracles. <laughs> but I was lying to myself. I was telling myself this because I did not want to return to Greenville. Because, you see, I associated Greenville, I associated the area with the person that I left behind. It was as though this person was a jacket that whenever I walked into town, I had to put on. And it took years for me to say, no, that's not it. In fact, it, it, took, a, it took a friend of mine asking me, why not Greenville? In the middle of me trying to figure out what was next, I wanted to be closer to home, but didn't want to be in home because for the longest time, I always said no. Tim kept bugging me, like, hey. <laughs> Every year, he's like, hey. 
I don't know what you could do, but hey. And, and I kept saying no. Do you remember, Tim, how easy it was? I just kept saying no. My mom kept saying, why not? And then my friend asked me, why not Greenville? And then I realized that the person that I had left behind was dead. It wasn't a jacket. That person had been transformed by the power of Christ. You see, um, this is why I'm sitting down. <laughs> Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to speak at, uh, and share a devotional at the FCA at North Pitt. And I was terrified. I stepped into this building, a building that I never thought I would go back into, a building that I vowed I wouldn't return to. And I was so quick to say, yes, I'd love to do it. But then in that moment, on the verge of having a panic attack, I shared my story or a portion of it. I needed that. And the whole rest of that day, the whole rest of my week, I was miserable because I knew what that meant to me. And I didn't want to accept it. I didn't want to accept that there was a change. Though I told myself that there was, though people around me acknowledged that there was, I, in face of the old me, I didn't know what to do. And so I shook. You know I speak with my hands. And so I was constantly going like this, and I was like, I have, I have led worship in front of hundreds of people. I have spoken in front of hundreds of people. I have done this for, why are these 25 teenagers making me feel so vulnerable right now? And it was God calling me to acknowledge where I was standing in that moment. You see, just as Aurelius and David, I had to understand that God was calling me to a life free from the bondage of my sin, free from my anger, from my resentment, from my pain, from what I had. I was free. I was transformed by the power of the gospel because belief and confession leads to transformation. And David shared this in his uh, video. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's it. You are called a new creation. It is your decision to choose to live in that creation, to live in who God has called you, his child. The old is gone the new is here. You're called to leave that jacket behind. Shed that skin and leave it behind and don't look back. That's the next step, coming into Christ and receiving the transformational power of the gospel. Uh, once we have believed that God has changed us and we have received the power to change, the ball is in our court and we need to Accept the power to change. Experiencing the transformational power of the gospel should 
alter our personal interests. It should. It should shift our attention from what we want and what we think is good into what God is calling us to, into what God is saying, this is what you need to be living as. And still, why can we leave this place the same every week? There should be an implication to our personal life when we encounter the eternal God. We should be radically changed. We should be allowing ourselves to be transformed by the gospel. Why is it so easy to leave the same from these encounters? Why is it so easy? Because it's not hard. I want us to do an exercise this morning. Um, and I've been feeling this in my heart this whole week while I was preparing. As, as I told you guys, I had a very odd week, <laughs> very difficult week. Um, you heard David's story in recognition of who God was calling him to be and into the person that God changed him into. You heard Aurelius' story of God's transformational power and the bondage that he had called, he had been called to leave behind. I've shared my story. Let me ask you this. What's, what's your story? What is it that God is calling you from? What is it that God is asking you to leave behind and to allow his transformational power to take over? Because we understand that it's not by our means. We can know that something is bad. We can know that something isn't right. But only he can do something about it. We have bulletins in chairs. Um, or you should have received a bulletin when you came in. If, if you didn't, I believe there's some in the back. There should also be pens in your area so that you can fill out connect cards. If not, no hassle. Use your phone. This is one of the few times you'll be told to pull out your phone at church. Use your phone, and I want you to take a second. I want you to take a second and pray. Ask God, what is it that you are desiring for me to leave behind? What transformation are you desiring for me to experience today? We can all do this. There's no reason for any of us to not do this. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the church or involved. There's something that God is calling you to do because you see, change is continual. A very wise woman once told me in, in the verge of uh, praying to divorce her husband she said to me I never I never got to know him because we change as human beings we grow and she said I never knew him and so in this moment we need to acknowledge that we change that we grow, but that constantly we are called 
to change towards him. We need to decide to change towards him. We need to make a conscious decision. If I am to change from who I am today into someone else, I want it to be towards him, towards his likeness, towards his goodness, towards his wisdom. That is what the change should go towards. And so I want us to take a second and ask God, what is it that you're asking me to leave behind and to move towards? So let's do that now and write it down. Lamentations 3 says that God's mercies are renewed every day. And it's a passage on um, the pain that you feel apart from God, but that God constantly is allowing for you to experience Him, to look towards Him. And this passage, I think it's uh, 322, says, your mercies are new every day. And I think of that and I, I say every single day, every single day your mercies are new. Yet why is it that I can't look for them every day? Give me one reason why we shouldn't be looking for his mercies every day. And so in conclusion, I just want us to keep this in mind. As you move forward, Ask God, how can I find and embrace your mercies every day? How can I daily seek to be transformed by your power? Um, I was reading about the life of Susanna Wesley and the impact that her spiritual guidance had on her sons, which transformed and revolutionized the uh, Christian culture, the Christian community. And... I stumbled upon a prayer that she had wrote. And so I want us to take a second and as I pray out this morning, I want us to focus on her words 
And, and I hope that it impacts you as much as it did me. Will you join me? She says, help me, Lord, to remember that religion is not confined to the church or closet or, or that it's exercised only in prayer and meditation. But everywhere I am in thy presence. So may every word and action have a moral content. May all the happenings in my life prove useful and beneficial to me. May all things instruct me and afford me an opportunity of exercising some virtue and daily, daily learning and growing towards thy likeness. Dear God, we're so thankful for what it is that you have called us to be, for this new creation, for telling us that the old things have died, that we have left behind this life of sin, that we have left this, this uh, burden of anxiety, that we have left this burden of depression, that we have left this pain that someone might have caused in our lives, that we've left it all behind that we're not called to live constantly in this pain, that we're not called to live constantly in our sin, but instead, God, allow us the opportunity to rejoice in the freedom that you have given us, in the freedom that you have offered us, and in the freedom that we have the ability to receive. And God, I pray that you place over our hearts, over our minds, uh, the wisdom to live continuously in you to live continuously in that change, to live continuously in that transformation. God, I pray for every single person here today that they can experience that. Likewise, myself, that I can continuously be reminded that I am renewed in you, that I am called anew in you. Amen.